Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all. Um, we're so thankful to have Taft Avenue partner with us, as we said, uh, being an extension of your ministry here and, and um, being able to train people to take the gospel to where it hasn't heard, been heard before. Um, as, we, as we look to open the word this morning, um, when we think of the last few years, there's a lot of bigger issues, national, international issues that, that take our attention. I mean, even immediately, there's the war in Ukraine. We've obviously had all the coronavirus issues and the different national issues going on. Um, additionally, though, um, or sometimes it can seem overwhelming with all the things that we need to keep up with and, and keep track of and have an understanding. Um, so it can be overwhelming, but then in addition, we have our own weekly rhythms, right, where we're taking our kids to school, we're going to work, um, we have concerns about our future, how we manage our finances. It can be easy to become distracted, and it can be easy to get really narrowly focused on just whatever that day or that week um, it, it has for us. And so my aim this morning is to remind us of the need of the world, to, to lift our eyes up from our immediate uh, focus to, to the needs of the world, to catch a glimpse of what God's doing. Um, and so what I want for this morning is to be like that change in vantage point you get when you go on an airplane, right? The 30,000 view where you look down and you can see, sometimes you can see your house and you see how it fits in to the larger plan of your street, your city, and then even the larger Los Angeles metro area. And so we hope as we, uh, I hope as we zoom out, we see God's global purposes in the world with, with the hope that that helps reorient our own personal stories within God's bigger story, and that we can find our place in what God is doing in this world. And so our focus, as you would imagine, is going to be outside of the United States. Um, obviously, the United States has many issues which are worthy of our attention and we need to, to take part in. Um, but my focus, so my focus isn't intended to diminish what's going on in the U.S., uh, but it's really just to highlight what God is doing outside of the U.S., and I think as we, or I hope, as we have our eyes lifted up to see God's work beyond our own lives, it will encourage us towards greater faithfulness in, in our day-to-day -day lives. And of course, the reason, one of the reasons for looking overseas is the Bible itself tells us that we need to focus there. So Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew, which we call the Great Commission, he commands his followers uh, throughout history to um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we all have a role then as followers of Jesus in making disciples of all the nations. It just depends on what that specific role might be. Uh, so with all that said, I want us to turn to God's Word. We already read uh, the passage this morning, but I'm going to read it for us uh, one more time. It's in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." 
So there's just four brief observations I want to make about this text as it helps us to look at the situation in the world. So as I mentioned, I teach New Testament, so uh, normally I'd love to dive deeper into this text, but I want to, uh, I want to use it as a, a launching point as we look at uh, the situation outside or in the world. Um, but I want to make four observations about the text first. Uh, first, Jesus notices the plight of the people. He says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. So he sees very clearly that they're lost and they are in need. And so the first thing that happens is Jesus sees the need and the situation of the crowd. Second, as he sees their need, it says that he has compassion on them. So, so Jesus does not just simply see their need and try to fix it immediately. Rather, he has an emotional response to it, right? He has pity on them. The question for us is, what is my response when I see my unbelieving neighbors or colleagues or family? Am I moved to compassion when I consider their need apart from Christ? Now, compassion, if you're like me, it doesn't come naturally all the time. It's something that we have to cultivate through prayer, asking that God would give us his heart toward people, toward people that are made in his image. The third observation I want to make is one pastor commented uh, here that Jesus actually sees the potential um, for salvation in the crowd. He sees the potential of lost people receiving salvation. So he sees their potential when he says the harvest is plentiful. So no person or situation is impossible for God to save. Jesus sees the potential for, for this crowd to become his followers. So may this challenge us as we see how Jesus sees their potential. May it challenge us to foster a hopeful imagination for what God might do when he gets a hold of a lost person's life. We can have hope in the midst of seeing the lost because the lost may lead to a great harvest of disciples for Jesus. Fourth, Jesus commands the disciples to pray. Uh, he comments to his disciples that there are many people who need to hear the gospel of the kingdom but there are not many people to share in, in that work. So far, Jesus has really been the only one. John the Baptist, perhaps, before Jesus, but that's, that's two up to this point in Jesus' ministry. And so he commands the disciples to pray that God would send out more workers. Now, right after this passage in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, Jesus commissions his disciples to, to take the gospel of the kingdom out. So the disciples are actually the very workers for whom they have prayed. They are the initial answer to their own prayer of more laborers for the harvest. Interestingly here, though, Jesus doesn't call them to more effective ministry, but he points them to the effectiveness of prayer. And the reason for that, I think, is that no matter how hard you work, you individually will never be able to gather in the whole harvest. So we should pray to him who can send out those um, who are needed. Ultimately, right, it's God who raises and sends out workers. So Jesus here then sees the need of the crowd. He's moved to compassion. He sees their potential for salvation, and then he commands his disciples to pray. So Jesus said 2,000 years ago that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, is that still true today, 2,000 years later? What is the status of the harvest in the world today? 
And I want to look at that in, in two different areas. So first, I want to look at it in terms of the lost or in terms of evangelism. And then secondly, I want to look at it in terms of discipleship of those who are already Christians around the world. And as we look at this, um, I'm going to give you numbers, primarily because they paint a picture of the situation of the world. I also want to share a few stories, um, because these numbers are, are people, right? They're not just abstract figures. Um, but I want us to help uh, be personally think of people who are made in the image of God as we think of all these numbers. So that being said, if you like numbers, there's going to be plenty for you this morning. If you don't like numbers as much, then I'll have some stories for you as well. So hopefully I'm kind of covering all the, the personalities represented. Um, but ultimately, I want, um, I want us to be moved to compassion, just like Jesus was as we hear the great need of the world. And that hopefully will move us and, and guide us as to how we can pray as well. Also, I'm going to give you the desperate need of the world. But I also want you to see how God is gloriously at work, because as Jesus saw the great need for salvation, he also saw the potential as well. And so even though what some of I'm going to tell you sounds like bad news, um, I hope, and I hope it gives you a burden, I also want you to see the great potential on how God is at work in this world and what he's doing outside of the U.S. So to dive into that, again, we're going to first look at um, the lost or the, the unevangelized. So the current world population, just for frame of reference, is 7.9 billion people. So that's, there's almost 8 billion people on the earth right now. About one-third, so one out of every three people is considered unreached. And unreached doesn't mean, just mean they're not Christians. Unreached means they actually have no access to hearing about Jesus. They don't know a Christian. They will never walk by another church. They will never see or encounter a Bible. In groups that are considered unreached in terms of the technical definition, it means that less than 2% of the population is Christian. Around 3 billion people in this world, 3 billion people are considered unreached. They have never heard about Jesus, and they will never be able to unless the situation changes. Now, we often talk about parts of the United States being unreached, and obviously there's a huge need for church planting and evangelism in the U.S. Um, we often look at like, the Northwest as particularly post-Christian. And I'm going to use that just as a point of comparison, not to downplay the need there, but just as a point of comparison. So Portland, Oregon has a population of 580,000 people, and it currently has about 450 churches for those 580,000 people. Uh, Asansol, India, which is in um, the eastern part of India, has a population of 560,000, and it has zero churches, so zero. So a, a person that lives there will never be able to walk or drive past another church. They will never meet another Christian unless they go completely outside their city. There are countries like Bangladesh where 90% of the population is unreached. Christians are only 0.3% of the population of Bangladesh. India has 1.3 billion people who are unreached. 88% of the population of Libya is unreached. 98% of Iraq is unreached. 
99% of Tunisia is unreached. 98% of Japan is unreached. 99% of North Korea is unreached. 96% of Uzbekistan is unreached. 99% of Iran is unreached. 99% of Turkey is unreached. A pastor from Canada in the early 1900s said, we talk of the second coming, but half of the world has never heard about the first. Now, the situation has obviously improved since he said that, but a third of the world, three billion people, will go 60, 70, 80 years of their lives without ever hearing about Jesus, unless something changes. Paul says that people like this are lost in their sin. They're hopeless apart from Christ. They are dead. He says in Ephesians 2, they are dead in their sin. They're trapped in darkness and sin without any help out of that situation apart from Christ. Now, that's the situation of those who have not heard the gospel before. In terms of Bible translation, significant progress has been made over the last 50 years, but there's 1,800 languages with no Bible, and that means that no translation has even been started in that language. Over 1 billion people do not have a full written Bible in their, their first language. Now, that's the bad news, obviously, and I want the gravity of that situation to just sit on us for a little while to see the great need and have compassion for those who are lost apart from Christ just like Jesus did. Because we have to see the need and be moved by it. For, us, for something to change in the world, we have to be moved like Jesus was. Now, despite the uh, immense challenges that there are that I've just shared, there's also good news to go with that. There's been a dramatic increase in church planting in the last 20 years. Uh, 60 years ago, there were only about 200,000 believers who were formerly Muslim. Today, that number is about 10 million. Uh, so there's a huge change in the last 20, um, or in the last 60 years about former Muslim um, background believers now. So 200,000 to 10 million. So that's good news, right? Um, more churches are being planted and more work is being advanced among the unreached as well. With Bible translation, there are many active Bible translations happening. I can tell you the story about a couple who moved to South America in 1982 they moved among a people without any written language. So they had no, no written language, not just a written Bible. They had no written language at all. Uh, this couple's goal was to take the spoken language of the people and develop it into a written script so they could begin translating the Bible in their language. Now, 40 years later, they're in the final stages. They're in the final edits of completing the entire Bible. Um, and within a year, they'll have a full printed Bible in, in this language in the mountains of Peru. This gives the people there a Bible so they don't have to rely on others to teach them about it. They can read it for themselves for the first time in history. And, and more and more stories about Bible translation can be multiplied. So this isn't the only family. There's, there's dozens and hundreds of people doing this among people that don't have a written Bible. So that's the status of, of evangelism or the lost. And now I want to turn our attention to... Um, to those who are already Christian in the world, or, or dis, what I want to broadly categorize as discipleship. Because there's a, another side of the harvest as well, and that's um, the discipleship who, of those who have come to Christ in some of these unreached parts of the world. Uh, 
And this is where we need to realize that Christianity has moved decidedly south um, in the last hundred years or so. Um, in 1910, 80% of all Christians lived in North America and Europe. So 80%, which probably doesn't surprise most of us. Only 18% of Christians lived in Africa, uh, Asia, or Latin America. Today, so as of 2022, two-thirds of all Christians, 67% live in Africa, Asia, or Latin America. So the shift of Christianity south has already taken place. It's not something that we're waiting to happen. It's already taken place. So only a third of Christians in the world live in North America or Europe today. By 2050, um, estimate, missiologists are estimating that um, 85% of Christians will live in Africa, Asia, or Latin America. 85%, only 15% of Christians will live in North America and in Europe. Now, we still have this perception that, that the center of Christianity is, is the West, is America, or Europe, and part of that reason is because there's more Bible colleges and universities in, this part of, uh, or in these parts of the world, um, and more books um, are public, more Christian books are published in these areas. So, in English, there's about 200,000 Christian books published every year. So, it seems like the center is still here, and then obviously finances are mostly centered here, but in terms of raw numbers of Christians, Christianity has already shifted south, and it's going to continue to do so. And on the one hand, that's good news, right, that Christianity has increased in the rest of the world. Because the mission efforts of America and Europe over the last 150 years have produced fruit so that many people in Latin America, Asia, and Africa are coming to know Christ or have already come to know Christ. And we should rejoice that the missionaries that the U.S. and Europe sent out over the past 150 years and the sacrifices that those missionaries made have produced fruit for the gospel. Also, we see that many nations that formerly received missionaries are, are, are now sending out their own. So in the Philippines, um, where we served for the past five years, um, the, 60 years ago, our mission sent missionaries to the Philippines to plant churches. Now the Philippine church is sending out missionaries to Africa and to Asia. I had students in my small group who are now being sent out from Philippine churches to be missionaries elsewhere. So it used to be a receiving country, and now it's a sending country for missionaries. And that's something we should praise God for. That's, that's good news. At the same time, there's a new challenge in that many people are coming to faith but there's a lack of discipleship because there are few people that have training, um, especially when we consider formal Bible degrees, either a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. Now, just to be clear, formal Bible training is not a necessity. I don't think you can still pastor and grow in your faith without a formal Bible degree, um, but it helps significantly because it gives focused time in learning how to interpret and apply God's word, among, among other things. A danger in many of these places um, where Christianity is growing is that there's also a growth in heresies, such as the prosperity gospel, um, and they're flourishing because Christians are not receiving education in how to properly study, interpret, and apply God's word, and so they're susceptible to false teaching and things that are distortions of the gospel and, and, and heresy. So there needs to be, I think, in a, a, given the situation of Christianity shifting south, I think there needs to be an adjustment in our mindset. There is, of course, always a need for church planting and Bible translation. 
and it's not an or, and there's a growing need for training, equipping, and discipleship of the nations. 95% of pastors worldwide have no formal Bible training, and that's about 2 million pastors um, in the world have, have, have not received formal Bible training. Uh, the 5% that have are typically located in, as you would guess, in North America or in Europe. Very few in Africa, Asia, and Latin America have, have a formal Bible degree of some kind. Um, obviously, many church, Taft Avenue and, and many other churches down in Southern California are blessed with, with, with pastors or, or even elders or different people that, that have the opportunity, that have formal Bible degrees or have the opportunity to go to conferences and, and workshops to learn how to study the Bible better and, and interpret God's Word better. But picture that we had to call upon the only person who has a Bible to come up here and preach. Or picture that the person who's been the Christian the longest that has to come up here and preach, even if that's only maybe they've been a Christian two years, that's really the situation of most of the rest of the world is because people don't have formal training and because not everybody has a Bible, sometimes it's the only person with a Bible that is the one that comes and opens God's word for people, whether they have training or not in it. Now, training and equipping nationals not only deepens their own faith in Christ, but training Christians from Latin America, Asia, and Africa is also a strategy for reaching the unreached. As I mentioned at the beginning, that's, that's the strategy that, that my family is, is helping with, is we're training nationals from these places who then go back to their home countries. Um, so those who have become Christians in unreached areas can be trained and equipped for more effective ministry so that they can share the gospel within their own borders with those who haven't heard it before. And sometimes they can actually reach people there more effectively than Americans can because they know the language, they know the culture already, and then they also have a, a network of relationships of non-believers, either family members or friends, that, who they can then immediately go share the gospel with. And they can get um, to places where an American might have difficulty getting a visa. There are many places in the Middle East that are not friendly to missionaries, and so you can't go on a missionary visa there. But if you train and equip believers from those places, then they can more easily go back, and they don't have to learn the language, they don't have to learn culture, they can just immediately go share the gospel with their network of non-Christians. Now again, to be clear, that does not diminish the need for Americans to send um, people to plant churches and do Bible translation overseas, but it serves as another strategy of Americans going as well as training nationals to reach the unreached. So let me illustrate the challenge and then as well as how God is raising up nationals to meet this challenge. So in 1989, the country of Mongolia had less than 10 known Christians in the whole country. Now part of this, it was part of the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union at the time. So Christianity, there were not a lot of Christian efforts there. So they had less than 10 known Christians in 1989, so 30 years ago. After the Soviet Union fell, missionaries went in, and now Mongolia has over 50,000 believers um, in the country. However, so that's great, obviously, the, the efforts of missionaries and people coming to faith. However, even though 50,000 are the number of Christians and it's been a huge growth, only 1.7% of the population of Mongolia is Christian, so it's still less than 2%. Um, so Mongolia is massively unreached with the gospel. 
at the seminary where I taught in um, the Philippines, we had three families that came from Mongolia, and they were sent um, by a group of churches there to receive formal Bible training, and they were the first people at those churches to have any formal Bible training. Even the pastors at those churches did not. Um, so they, they came, um, they, they've got their degrees, and now they've gone back to Mongolia, and they've done a number of things there. So they started a discipleship school in a yurt. So the yurt is that round kind of tent-like thing that Mongolians live in. So they started a discipleship school through their church with six families, and they're teaching them how to interpret the Bible. They're teaching them um, basic doctrine. They're also teaching them spiritual disciplines about reading your Bible and praying. And so they're discipling Christians who are already there. Um, they're also doing evangelism and reaching the unreached. So these students um, continue, I'm, I'm thankful for them, they continue to email me and keep me up to date on, on what's going on in their ministry. And they sent me a video um, where they traveled out and they met a herdsman. So Mongolia still has a lot of nomads that migrate their cattle around. Um, and so they met this nomad um, who his, his motorcycle tire broke down. So they helped him fix it. And then they drove back to this man's yurt where his cattle was um, just to, to make sure he got back. So those over 100 miles they drove back. Um, in the course of, of staying there a little while, they got to know him better, and, um, and they ended up driving out to meet this man four additional times to meet with he and his family. And during one of these times, they shared the gospel with him. Now, this man, um, nor his family, none of them had ever heard about Jesus before, ever. They didn't know who Jesus was. So as they share the gospel, these former students share the gospel with him, he and his whole family come to faith in Christ. And on top of that, within three weeks, this nomad went and shared the gospel with all of his other nomad friends. And so this is a great example of, of students who are getting formal Bible training, and then they're going back to their countries, and they're finding nomads to share the gospel with who haven't heard about Jesus. Now, as um, my wife can attest to, I don't really like camping very much. And so the thought of like going to a completely middle of nowhere part of Mongolia and even finding a nomad and then learning the language would be very difficult. But these students were able to come for two years, get a Bible education, and go out and do that themselves. So they're doing discipleship and evangelism among the unreached. Another student I had in Manila finished um, two or three years ago, and he's, he's Pakistani, and he moved back to Pakistan to do ministry. He saw the need for the discipling and training of, of local Pakistani believers, so he started a Bible college there. So they just finished their first academic um, school year there, and um, he just let me know there's, they're opening satellite campuses um, around their region so that more people don't have to travel in to get classes. They can, the teachers will, will go out there as well. And so this is in Pakistan, a place where Christians are less than 1% of the population. And so God is raising up Pakistanis to be workers in the harvest, reaching the unreached. Just imagine the potential of each of those trained through the school to go out and share Christ with those in their social network. Because they're learning about the Bible, they're learning about evangelism, um, they're learning about how to grow themselves in Christ. And so there's such great potential at this school. And I'm so excited to, to hear what students are going back to do to take the gospel to places where it hasn't been heard before. So now I've shared uh, about the status of the world, 
how many are still unreached with the gospel, how many uh, still need further training. What I don't want to happen this morning is you to leave and think, well, that's awful, right? There's three billion people in the world that have never heard the gospel before, but I'm not really sure what I can do. I mean, how can I reach three billion, right? That's, that's an impossible task. Paralysis is really the last thing I want you to leave this morning with because you hear something, you might be moved, and then you, you go home and, and kind of forget about what it is. So I, I want to share a psalm that's, that's been on my mind a lot and that even um, God used to move me to go overseas many years ago. And it's Psalm 67. I'm going to just read the, the first part of it. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Now, we often pray verse 1 of Psalm 67, right? That God would be gracious to us and bless us. But what is that blessing that we want? Now, if you're like me, when we're honest, the blessing that we often want is, is ease, comfort. I want my relationships to go smoothly. I want parenting my kids to be fruitful. I want my job to be easy. I want God to give me the finances that I think I need. But that's not why the psalm says that God blesses us. Right? The psalm says that the reason God blesses us, or, or the reason we should pray for God's blessing, is so that his way may be known on the earth, and his salvation among the nations. God blesses us so that the nations might be glad and rejoice over our Savior. And above all else, God has blessed us in Jesus. We want more people from all the earth to hear about him. And I've given you a lot of numbers this morning, but the goal here isn't numbers. The reason we do missions is so that people can come to know and worship Jesus. That's the goal. Revelation 7 talks about one day people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will worship around God's throne. That's why we do missions. And so I want to challenge you this morning to consider how God's blessing of you can be used to make his name known in all the earth. Because that's what God's story is about. It's about bringing people from all nations and languages around his throne to worship him. That's the story that we want to join in. We don't want to just add God's purposes to our daily routines. We want our daily routines to be transformed by God's purposes and shape how we live our lives. And so I primarily want to challenge you to pray about what next step might God be leading you to. Recall from Matthew 9, in seeing the need, Jesus calls people to pray. And then also, as I mentioned, that the disciples were the answer to their own prayers. And so perhaps as, as God leads you to pray, you might be the own answer to your prayers here. So for some of you this morning, the next step might just be learning about missions. I mean, maybe you read a book about a, a, a biography about a missionary, or there's a website called Joshua Project. Um, and that talks about the, the situation of the unreached in the world and, and different people groups and different nations and, and how unreached um, they are. 
So you read a book about a missionary, um, you can go to Joshua Project to learn about the unreached, um, or you can just read about what the Bible says about the gospel going to the nations. I mean, all the way back in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham that he's going to bless him to be a blessing uh, or so that all the nations of the earth are blessed through him. So there's many, many passages in the Bible that talk about God's heart for all peoples to come to know who he is. For some of you, though, maybe you, maybe you know that, you've read missionary biographies, um, maybe the next step is learning about and getting to know some of the, the global partners that Taft Avenue has. Now, this sounds kind of biased because I'm obviously one of them, but I've been, <laughs> um, but I've been on, the we- on, um, on your website, and I've seen um, what your global partners are doing, and there's a lot of great things that I would encourage you to learn about. So this isn't just about me, but I think you'll be encouraged to hear about their ministries more in detail. Even as one who's sent out, I'm always encouraged to hear other, story, uh, uh, other stories about God's work among the nations because it really emboldens and strengthens me for my part in, in that task. And, and I pray that it would do the same for you. So no matter who, um, which of the global partners you get to know, I, you're going to be blessed by getting to, to hear more about what they're doing. For others here, maybe you already know about missions, you might know Taft Avenue's global partners, but maybe you need to take the next step in thinking about that. And a way you can do that is looking at the different global partners um, and pray about which of those God might be leading you to partner with in some way. Now, when you hear me say partner, you're probably thinking like money, right? That's usually, I've spoken in a number of these things, but that's actually not only what I'm talking about. Obviously, none of Taft Avenue's global partners would turn down if you wanted to partner with them financially. But partnership isn't just financial, actually. It can look many different ways. Um, And I'm going to just give few, just to help stimulate your thinking, this isn't meant to be comprehensive at all. Um, But when when some of them return to California, or some of them are in California now, you can be a part of helping with practical matters, like helping them find a car, a place to live, uh, babysitting their kids so they can get a break, because it's uh, finding babysitters overseas is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, you can offer them assistance with practical needs like graphic design or video editing. Uh, all these things I'm mentioning are actually things people have so graciously done um, to partner with us since we've been in California or even while we've been overseas. And they're a huge blessing to us because they're all things that we need. So I'm not good at graphic design, but I need help with things like that. And so we've had people partner with us in those ways. Um, Or when the global partners are overseas, it means not just reading their updates, or it could mean getting their updates, um, but not just reading them, but responding to them and and letting them know how things are going here at the church or in your own life. Um, So again, I'm just throwing out uh, a bunch of ideas to stimulate your thinking about what partnership means other than just finances. And in viewing partnership in this way is helping in more tangible ways. You're getting actively involved in their team and in whatever ministry that they're a part of overseas. So you're joining with them in the task of making disciples of all nations and sending out laborers into the harvest. And I want to emphasize this morning that I don't want um, to just leave you here feeling guilty about your lack of participation in the Great Commission, because ultimately that's really not going to last, right? I mean, I feel this way too, like I can feel guilty after a sermon, and then, you know, Monday comes around, and work, and and relationships, and all the other things that that can consume my time come up, and that guilt just really washes away, because that doesn't last. 
But what missions really is about, what compels people to go overseas and sell all their possessions, is the love of Christ, which sounds really simple, but loving Jesus so much that you want others to know him in the same way that you do and be transformed in the way that you have. Isaiah 33 says that one day we will behold the king in all his beauty. That's what the goal of missions is, is we want ourselves to behold the king in all his beauty, and that then motivates us to want to share that with other people. The love of Christ compels us to pray about what we can do so that people from all over the world can hear and know about Jesus. Because we see that Jesus' words are still true from Matthew 9, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let me pray. Jesus, your words spoken 2,000 years ago remain true. There are many lost in this world. Lord, there's nearly three billion who do not know you and will not have the opportunity unless someone goes, unless there are those to share the good news of Jesus with others. Jesus, forgive us for the ways that we forget the lost around us, whether they're next door or whether we work with them or whether they're in our families. Lord, forgive us for the ways we remain focused on our own lives. Forgive us for the ways that we seek comfort and ease instead of the path of sacrifice that you walked. Lord, you have abundantly blessed us, not so that we can live lives of comfort and convenience, but so that your name might be proclaimed in all the earth. May you grant us boldness to proclaim the gospel to those around us, wherever they might be. May your spirit guide us and lead us as to how we should join in the work you are doing in this world. May we not be unmoved by the many lost in our world. Let them not just be a number to us that we forget about and go about, go about our daily lives. But may we orient our, our time, our finances, our schedules to, to keep the needs of the lost before us. And Lord, we, we pray that you would raise up an army of those to go to the nations from this church, from this state, from this country, and from all over the world, Lord. You're already doing it, and we pray that you would continue to raise up those to take the gospel to those who haven't heard it before. And Lord, may we ourselves be a light in the dark places around us as we pray that the light would go to the dark places in the world. And Lord, we ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.